0: you attacks so far do you have a gun i'm sydney prescott of course i have a gun
1: something about this one just feels different samantha i'm i know who you are
0: i've been through this a lot
1: this is your life now
0: which means that whoever this is is going to keep coming for you you ready this? Never.
1: Oh,
2: stop! There's certain rules to surviving.
0: Attacks were all on people related to
2: the original killers. Whatever his link is
1: to our past, it's pulled us all back here. And I won't sleep until he's in the ground.
3: Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and The Pendulum, the show covering horror movie franchises one movie and one episode at a time. This week, it is a very special episode of the show. Uh, as of the day of posting for this episode, our little show has turned three years old. So before doing anything else, if you're a new listener, a longtime listener, Or if you've been with us since day one, thank you so much for checking us out and helping this little thing chug along here. Um, This week we are in between franchises as we've taken a little detour to talk about the fifth installment of the Scream franchise. Confusingly enough, titled Scream released January of this year. We did not cover it at the time due to the Omicron variant running wild, kind of like Hulkamania and feeling like we didn't want to cover a movie that the majority of our audience and panel might not have felt comfortable venturing out to see at the time. But now that it's on physical media available to rent or buy digitally across all the big platforms and streaming is part of the library of titles over on Paramount plus, There's really no excuse. You should be able to see it. So we are going to spoil the shit out of this movie. I figured with the gap in between Child's Play and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's the perfect time to bring us up to speed on Scream. It is the first series we ever covered way back in 2019 with our first four episodes. As always, I am not alone, and we have returning members of our now regular crew joining us. First up, you can read her words over in Rue Morgue, Daily Grindhouse, Dread Central, amongst others. Welcome back, Rachel Reeves. Rachel, how are you?
0: Hey, I am great. I'm very excited to talk about this movie finally. Watched it for the second time, and I don't know, I think I liked it even more than the first. So yeah, stoked to talk about it.
3: It's definitely one that rewards you on the rewatches, absolutely for sure. Um, We also have a true glutton for punishment coming back. You just heard him on our Child's Play remake. He is the co-host of the Disenfranchised podcast, which just wrapped up April's Arnold Schwarzenegger month. Big hello to Stephen Foxworthy. Stephen, how are you?
2: Big hello back, Mike. Doing great and uh, thrilled to be talking about one of my favorite horror franchises with you guys. The horror franchise that brought me to your show to begin with. So I am thrilled to be here.
3: Excellent. We're thrilled to have you back as always. But we also have one more guest, and I'm really excited for this one. We've spoken before over on my other show, Psychoanalysis. Uh, we have joining us for the first time, it's a very special guest, culture writer and custom shoe artist, Andrew Lassane. Andrew, how are you?
1: Hello, Mike. How's it going?
3: I am excited, man. I'm really happy to have you on. We were like messaging back and forth, like opening night on this movie. Yep. it's like two of the few people that had gotten out were like, and it was like, you're coming on for this episode, dude. we gotta have you in
1: yeah we I think we saw it at the exact same time, maybe probably as soon as I got on Twitter when it was over. It was like I saw you tweet something about it it like, yeah, it felt like that right.
3: moment in Step Brothers when we
1: just <laughs> become best friends.
3: Yes, it <laughs> felt just like that, and then we built bunk beds. So much I recorded for my first hip-hop video. It was great. <laughs> God, I fucking love Step Brothers. That's a patron pick one day. We need to do that movie. So good. All right, before we dive into this movie, however, let's take a second and talk about our initial impressions of Scream and maybe share our thoughts on the series as a whole. And Andrew, as our guest, would you like to kick things off for us?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, Scream is my, the original Scream. So I'm going to do that a few times. Stupid naming conventions. Uh, the original Scream is my favorite horror movie of all time. Full stop. Uh, the franchise is one of my favorites. It, I fluctuate between that and um, Child's Play, which, Mike, I know you also have a soft mm-hmm. spot for. Uh, yeah, I've seen the new Scream five and a half times. Only half because I had to get ready for this show. But um, So I had three times in theaters. And I love it. So I'm excited to, to dive in and talk about it.
3: What is it about this series that calls to you? What do you feel really like? What do you, you said, it's your favorite franchise mm-hmm. or it's your favorite. Uh, the first one's your favorite movie. What is it about this series that really calls to you?
1: Just everything. I feel like Scream might be a perfect movie. I know some people don't like to call anything perfect, but I've seen the original Scream way more times than i can count and just like Mm -hmm. every single i don't remember the first time i saw it but because i was not like old enough to see it in theaters when it originally came out but uh yeah every time i watch it it's just there's nothing wrong with that movie and i can like every single time i watch it it feels like like i've seen it for the first time and like you notice new things and you just appreciate the the art of it and just like everyone in it is amazing it's just, just so good
3: And podcasting being the visual medium that it is, uh, Andrew is wearing a amazing Stu Mocker T-shirt that it looks like I described it as if you had those old school McDonald's character glasses with like the pictures on it or like trading, like tops trading cards. I would maybe even a better. And it looks like you have one for like every day of the week with different characters. Yeah. Shout out Pentagram Peter Pan
1: on Instagram. They do uh, limited run, quote unquote bootleg tees, and when I saw that they had a a Scream lineup, I just had to grab every single one they had. But I also have uh, when the movie when the new Scream came out, I that night after like messaging you on Twitter, I made four Wes uh, shirts, Mm -hmm. and I've like and people obviously immediately asked me for some, so I made a few more of those, and I have like an original Scream Two t shirt and. There's another shirt uh, with Casey Becker like hanging from a tree. It's just like Scream is taking over my closet at this point.
3: Excellent. (laughs) Are those for sale? Those Four West tees and the other ones you've made?
1: They were. um, (laughs) I'm. Another thing you can't see because this is not a visual medium. I'm backed up now on custom stuff because I made the mistake of uh, posting Scream. Doc Martins that I was making, and then got way more orders than I like had time to do. And I finished; I think it was like a couple dozen, and I finished those. And then people were still asking, so I reopened the mm-hmm. the orders. So I have seven more of those to finish before I can like get to any other projects. But okay, like you guys, since the end, but no one else. Can oh,
0: do. those oh are God, gorgeous! Oh, so cool. And then, oh, man.
1: Yeah, and they take way longer than
3: they should to finish. It's so <laughs> No t-shirts right now, but when I do, I'll, I'll post about it. on. We'll definitely post the link to your Instagram up. So our listeners could be like, God damn it, I want to order this right now. <laughs> and then they can send angry messages like toxic fanboys, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> but also episode. your fellow
2: panelists would probably also like to order all of those as well. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and there's no one more toxic than you, Steven. As I, I know. Don't we all know it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The angriest man on the internet.
0: <laughs> That's me.
3: kid. Because I love I Rachel, how, how about yourself? What is your, what are your initial thoughts?
0: Honestly, my initial thoughts are just like about this new one. What a gift. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, I've, I felt that this new film, you could tell that everybody involved actually not just understood the assignment, but that they really were had a genuine affection and love for appreciation for you know Scream OG, so i feel that i mean i i'm i'm pretty i'm one of those people that i'm not too harsh and like hard on like new installments because i just want to have fun like as long as it's not like you know really really awful or something like i'm gonna have a good time like i understand that there's a lot of moving parts and i i don't know i give movies a lot of leeway i think and i just i loved this one and the scream is a franchise it hit me at the exact right, t- like right time in my life. I feel like I was the right age. I did not see it in theaters, but I saw it. I have like such vivid memories of like Scream and the faculty, and I know what you did last summer in those VHS cases, like at the video rental store. And just that was about the time I was starting to like dip my toes into horror a little bit because I was at that age where I could rent movies myself and I could watch them myself. You know, when I was babysitting other people's kids or whatever <laughs> and I just I was so attracted to the casts and I it, I don't know it's like a very nostalgic like vivid memory in my mind so it's kind of they always hold a special place in my heart um, just because it's one of the first that really got me diving deeper into horror and all those references that they were throwing out like I didn't know all those movies at that time. So it was like, well, I got to watch this, I got to watch this. So it really was like, it sent me down the rabbit hole for sure. Just investigating and just like, I don't know, just like when you read liner notes and you hear like the band thinking all these other bands, you're like, well, I love this band and they're talking about this one. So I need to go listen to that one as well. It was the same kind of thing for me. So Scream is really one of those movies that got me to watch the very first Halloween movie and to see, you know, what Prom Night was all about and that kind of stuff. So I'm forever grateful for for that, for sure.
3: Scream is what I would call a great example of like notepad horror in like exactly what you said uh, it's kind of like when when shockwaves was a podcast i remember yeah. i would listen to that and just be like writing down titles like haven't seen this haven't seen this this sounds intriguing and i think scream for a lot of people it means so much not only because like this movie itself was great but also because it referenced so many other movies that maybe people hadn't checked out that they went back um, and went ahead and oh, for whoop. I think I lost everyone. Are we all back? Yeah. yeah you it is a really weird day of recording you, right you, now. You blipped okay. out
2: there for a second.
3: I know, like everyone blipped out. It is so weird. Okay. It is still recording everything, so I'm not too worried. Um, just worried about editing. Um, it's very much like one of those franchises where you discover a ton of other movies because of it. Totally. Stephen, how about yourself?
2: Uh, I've mentioned on this podcast before, uh, Scream was like the first horror movie I ever saw. I was never really a big fan of horror. So some friends of mine in college were like, hey, we're watching Scream. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And they're like, sure, it's fine. And I watched it and I didn't hate it. And then I came back to it later and I was like, no, wait, this is really good. Like as I started to get into horror more, I was like, no, this is actually really good. And then I watched it again and I was like, no, this is perfect. Um, so, I mean, Screen Stands is my favorite slasher movie. It's probably um, one of my top three favorite franchises, a uh, distinction shared with Gremlins and Evil Dead. Just you know, three franchises that I absolutely adore. Um, and I'm I'm always I'm I'm unlike Rachel. I'm always very resistant to new entries and franchises that I love because I'm like, but it's it's the thing that I like, and so I have pretty high standards for what I want out of those movies. Um, And this one absolutely delivered. Like I was, I went in kind of skeptical and I came out a true believer is, is kind of the way that I, the way that I tell it. Um, Because I saw this with my podcast co host Brett Wright and our friend JP Leck. um, And we saw it, I think maybe a weekend or two in. And uh, I, I had an absolute blast. Like I had so much fun. I'm sitting next to Brett just cackling in the theater and we're just having such a great time. Um, And I got to revisit it again. And, damn it. This movie holds up. Like it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And if you're a longtime listener of this show, you know how much I love the scream series. Like I would say this and a nightmare in Elm street are my two favorite franchises. And I think this movie may have bumped it ahead of a nightmare in Elm street at this point. I don't think there's a bad entry in the franchises as a whole. Like I think they're all pretty fantastic. Um, I'm someone that did see the first Scream in theaters, if not opening weekend, then like right after opening weekend. Like I saw it pretty early on um, and just fell in love with it. And I, like Andrew, I've watched this, the first movie, more times than I can remember at this point. Like it's just something I keep going back to. um, And it really holds up. This movie, I remember seeing it like the Thursday it came out. Falling in love with it, like what a treat. Like it was just, hit all of the right notes. It was wickedly funny. Um, it didn't do that thing where it's like, oh, we're taking over this series and we're going to go in a whole new direction and put our own stamp on it. I think that Radio Silence managed to make it their own while still playing within the sandbox that Scream set up. Took my wife to see it that weekend, like a Sunday matinee a couple of days later. She loved it. And then we took our daughter to see it like a week later uh, is a movie. like So I saw it three times in theaters and I'm now kind of catching it now that it's on Paramount+. Plus. I've watched it a couple times ahead of recording for this show. And I don't get... It hasn't hit the point where I'm like, okay, I can put this one away for a little bit. Um, I still find things that I really enjoy about it so i think this is good i think we're all coming from it from a perspective we're like yeah we all dig this movie so those are yeah. always fun shows to record um if you're someone that don't doesn't like the scream movies like this might not be the episode for you if you're <laughs> looking for us to kind of go in on a movie i don't think this will be it um sorry sorry about that i'm, I'm not sorry s- at all <laughs> sorry not sorry well, okay. just because
0: you like just because you like something doesn't mean you can't like be critical of certain things oh, yeah. as well. Sure. So just just saying that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We'll be we'll have some critiques, but you know, if you're looking for someone to go in on it, like this won't be some of the uh <laughs> you know, this won't be our Lost Boy sequels episodes, I guess, for a time <laughs> listeners. We're like why God subtitles why God why. <laughs> um, so very quickly, I just have a few production notes here. Um, Kevin Williamson, when he pitched Scream Four to Dimension, also pitched uh, Scream Five and Scream Six. Unfortunately, like the fourth entry stalled out of the box office compared to the success of say the first three movies, but also franchises like Paranormal Activity and Saw, which proved that you could have like very successful, profitable horror movie franchises during that time of the box office it wasn't like oh horror is dead right now it's like nope but what was in were like super low budget movies found footage movies and reboots that seemed to be like taking up all of the uh, attention so screen four i think really it's been reevaluated in the years since its release and is seen as like a classic at this point but at the time, it wasn't super successful. Um, Trace Thurman and Joe Lipsit of the Horror Queers podcast, they have like a really great uh, episode up where they interviewed Kevin Williamson ahead of Scream 5 and had an awesome conversation with him. Trace summed up some of it on an article on Bloody Disgusting, which I'll put in the notes here. What Williamson talked about some of his ideas originally how Four forward end and where five and six would go. So the original end of scream forward had been more of a cliffhanger. We wouldn't have known if Sydney had lived or died at that point. You wouldn't have known if Kirby was alive or dead and Jill would have survived for that movie. And she would have still had been seen as like the hero of it in the movie, like the out to the outside world. She escaped the killer who would have been Charlie. And I think Trevor, I think the boyfriend or whatever, I can't remember, the because the boyfriend in that movie is kind of like just, you know, adult, Um, not even a red herring, just kind of like, but Scream 5 would have seen Jill go to university when the killings would have started again. And there would have been either questions on whether or not Jill was the killer, or it would have been somebody who knew about her role in the uh, revamped Woodsboro movies. Part six would have focused on Dewey and Gale and Sydney would be in it, but not to the extent it was more going to be like a showcase for Courtney Cox at that time. Um, he pitches those ideas and the Weinsteins say, nope, we're not really interested right now. There's kind of like doing some of the reading uh, on other articles. There was kind of a hint of a falling out between williamson and craven or at least it sounded like it like it wasn't explicit but you could read it as like nope they're going in a different direction like they're done with me and i think that that was the quote that i'm like huh um but i couldn't see a ton on that and there's nothing explicit saying that west craven and kevin kevin williamson had a big falling out but was that the west that
2: was saying that or kevin that was saying that
3: kevin that was saying that okay yeah it was like right around the time that Uh, like Wes Craven was still alive and they were taught he was trying to get part five and six off the ground. Um, The Weinsteins move scream over to MTV as a television show, that runs three series. And then in between season two and three, there's like an extended episode. That's really a made for TV movie. After the second season, they reboot the show like the third season as a new cast, new killer. Uh, new storyline. It's I only watched the first episode of that one. It wasn't good. But the first two seasons of the show are pretty good. Uh, I really enjoy Actually better than pretty good. Like they're actually really enjoyable. If you haven't watched them, definitely seek them out. I think they're streaming on Netflix. They're definitely in Paramount+. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, eventually, the Weinstein's legal entanglements that get Harvey Weinstein thrown in jail for being a serial sexual predator and scumbag leads to their company dissolving in 2019. Spyglass Media picks up the rights of the franchise, and they announce March 2020 that the duo of Matt bidinelli Open, and Tyler Gillette will co-direct based on a script from James Vanderbilt. They're going to read. Uh, so they're going to make the next installment of screen. Uh so Tyler and Matt are part of a collective called Radio Silence. Uh their feature, Ready or Not was a, a surprise hit, I would say. I don't think anyone expected that to be nearly as good as it was, but it was a yeah. hella entertaining movie. Um yeah, but mostly to that point, aside from Ready or Not, they had directed anthology segments on movies like Southbound and VHS. Uh Arquette is the first member to say he's back on board nev campbell and courtney cox announced they're on there shortly thereafter the film does experience some delays in filming because of covid uh and in september 2020 they're finally able to film um and like parts two and three like plot leaks and script links are a major concern they film a lot of things that aren't in the movie they have different versions of the script like they don't want anything getting out and i'd say even with the trailers, aside from one big reveal that we'll talk about or one big hint at a reveal, I would say it does a pretty good job at like hiding what the actual movie is going to be about. So they did... I,
0: yeah, I agree. Decent I think job. That they, yeah, especially in a, like a day and age where like everything is in the trailers, mm-hmm. like obnoxiously so. Yeah. It was actually really nice that I felt like once you see it, it's like, okay, I think they actually did, like, restrain themselves, or were, like, really conscious about what they were revealing, Mm
3: -hmm. and
0: didn't give away too much. Yeah,
3: You got a good hint of the tone of the movie, but not necessarily how everything would go down. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: There was one thing in the trailer that I wish we got more of, which was the chrome uh, ghost face, but mm -hmm. can't can't have it all. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Well maybe we'll see with part six. <laughs> yeah. Um the release was delayed from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two because of COVID. There was talk like do we release this thing on video on demand? And I think from the get-go, Paramount, who was distributing, it was like, Nope, like this is gonna be in theaters. Uh, they were really adamant about that. And I know that like a lot of people were upset about that because at the time, like we saw a massive surge in COVID again with Omicron Uh, And a lot of people I know who wanted to see it waited a long time. That's why we didn't record this episode back in January as hard as it was. Because A, I couldn't ask anyone to jump on to record if that was going to make them uncomfortable. But b, felt like for listeners, it wouldn't be fair to post an episode that Like, we are going to spoil if there was like zero opportunity to see the movie because of, you know, very legitimate health risks. Um, But that said, the movie is still a massive hit. I mean, does like 140 million worldwide. I'd say the it, between that and Spider-Man No Way Home, it's the idea of like, okay, people do feel comfortable going to the movies again if it's a movie they really want to see. I think Scream along with the new Spider-Man proved that. Like, okay, we can go back and, and, and do this. So a sequel is fast-tracked in March of next year. Uh, We will have Scream 6, like it is already, I think their script is already done and I think they start filming it um, this summer. Courtney Cox has said she's back on board. No word on uh, Nev Campbell yet. Uh, And I think we'll maybe as we wrap up today, we'll talk more about what do we want to see in the sequel. So, and there is our production notes. You know, we kept it pretty brief today because it's a relatively new movie. So there's not like 20 years of history behind it to talk about but you know I wanted to kind of dive in cuz I think what makes scream such a great franchise is the emphasis on the characters um more so than the killer itself although ghostface has an iconic look they even say in the movie like what makes this different is there's not a jason there's not a michael it's somebody different under the mask every single time So what do we think of this new cast of characters? Before we dive into them individually, what do you think of the ensemble as a whole?
0: I love this ensemble. Yeah, I think they they did great with this casting, especially if you think back to the first casting. It's like they weren't all stars at that time. And I think it's really cool, especially having, you know, the privilege of a little bit of hindsight here, just a little bit, to see, like, where some of these people are going. It's like, these are going to be stars. Like, these are stars in the making. So, like, to see that, like, happening in real time, I think is really cool. And I liked their chemistry. And it felt authentic like you could believe that they were friends i think yes and just the way that they played together as a unit but also how they fit into the whole legacy and the whole world of scream i think was i think it was great Mm
2: -hmm. yeah i just i had so much fun with this cast with these characters um they really the the right and it's a testament to the writing and to the performances that they really make do make you care about these characters and that you do feel like these are not with maybe one or two exceptions. These are not just disposable people, but these are real Mm -hmm. people that you get to actually have a connection with, which is probably the best part about the scream franchise is, I mean, Mike, you nailed it right on the head. The thing I love most about it, it's about the, it's about the survivors. It's about the people who have to keep dealing with this over and over again. And the things that that does to them as people, like that's, It's not about some guy in a mask just who gets his jollies murdering a bunch of teenagers, but it's about those teenagers and the interiority of them. And I think this cast steps up to the plate really admirably. And there are some really dynamite performances in this film as a whole.
1: Yeah, I agree. I was a little nervous going into it because I thought there were maybe too many new characters. Um, It was like seven or eight of the friends and then I guess like the ancillary characters but yeah i agree everyone i think did a great job uh we'll get into it in a minute but i feel like there was some uh some people on the internet are a little too harsh on one of the the main characters and i think she did a great job but mm-hmm. yeah I, overall i really liked everyone they brought in for this one
3: yeah i'd say i want to spend more time with all of the. sort I, I enjoyed the time i got to spend with the cast as a whole, I thought there were some fantastic individual performances, and I thought they liked the, probably the best since the first movie at gelling as an ensemble. Like as much as I love Screen Four, when I go back and rewatch it again, it feels a little bit off. Like none of the performances are bad per se, but um, I don't get like the sense of them as a friend group. More than anything else, we're here, you know, and I think part of it is you have like twin brother and twin sister, and the a very natural chemistry there. But you definitely felt like this was a lived-in friend group that had been around for a long time. Um, there was, you know, we'll talk about. I guess we'll talk about Melissa Barrera as uh, Sam Carpenter first, because it felt like if there was one character or, or one performance that people maybe went in a little bit on as opposed to, is saying like a little bit like subpar compared to the rest. It was, uh, Sam mm-hmm. who I thought overall, like the way this movie ends, I would say I'm more intrigued with what she does in future movies. Like I'm really intrigued by this character that is living with some sort of mental illness, like some sort of dissociative identity disorder or, uh um, showing signs of, of schizotypal disorder where she's obviously hallucinating regarding like her, you know, it's revealed Billy Loomis is her father in this movie. And she, he keeps appearing to her uh, throughout it. I'm really interested to see where she goes in future installments. I felt like she was a little bit blank when she would interact with Gail and Sydney Prescott. And maybe that's just a matter of you've got like a character that have five movies that you've been with them now, and now you have this new person interacting. It can be hard to kind of come up to that level. But what were your opinions on Sam?
1: Yeah, she's the one who I was uh referring to earlier the mm-hmm. internet really went in on her when the movie came out. But yeah, like you said, I think she did a perfectly fine job. I don't think she was terrible in the movie. I mean, Agree. not like Oscar-worthy performance, but it's a screen mm-hmm. movie, so, and it's also kind of hard to act opposite like veterans like uh, Courtney Cox and and Nev Campbell. So, I think she held her own.
0: And like for and- me personally, I, I I feel like it makes sense to her character in a weird way. And this is probably just me like giving way too much credit and reading way too much into it. But like, this is a person who is like you said struggling with some like mental. Some mental health issues who has been like carrying the secret and having trouble relating to her own family relating to mm-hmm. other people and like I myself I know that like I mean talking on like, a podcast is one thing but like get me with a group of people and I feel like I have a hard time like in social situations and so like there's part of me that can kind of relate to that just like I don't know how to connect to people I don't have like a shared interest in like mm-hmm. horror or something so there's like something about her performance that feels real to me Like somebody who's just kind of like always seen themselves as being separated and like carrying the secret and like dealing with her, you know, her dad literally like being a manifestation in her life like that. So I don't know if that's something they're going for. I do think that we see it shift a little at the end, which I loved um, when you kind of like get to see her release a lot of that in a very Mm -hmm. (laughs) violent way. Um, So... I'm also intrigued to see like where they go with that because we could find out that it was all intentional all along, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe it's just her, but I thought that people were a little harsh calling her, you know, her performance like wooden and, you know, blank. And it's like, I think it was just, I think it was a choice and a style, but I also thought that it fit her character and it it made sense to me.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I, and I'm, I'm also willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that it was a performance choice. I mean, people said the same thing about uh, Kristen Stewart in the Twilight films, and then you read the books and that character is just as non-existent on the page as she was on the mm-hmm. screen. And then you watch Kristen yeah. Stewart and other stuff and you're like, oh no, she's a great actress. She was right. just kind of, this role didn't do her any favors. And I don't know that I want to really chalk it up to the role or whatever, but I think there are choices that you make, that a performer makes in a given moment And I don't know. I'm willing to give her – I think the rest – everyone else kind of recuses themselves well enough that I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that Mm that was an intentional choice on her part.
3: I'd say that as much as as I'm not a fan – well, not a fan. As much as I would critique her in her interactions with like Courtney Cox and, and Nev Campbell or I think, again, five movies of being in a character versus just starting out when she interacts with her peers, like when she interacts with like the Meeks twins, uh, who she was a babysitter for when she interacts with like her sister, Tara played by Jenna Ortega, who we'll talk about in a minute. Um, she's great. I think she's very good. Um, and you could see like, you could see the kind of relationships and the bonds forming there. I think her and Richie is a couple were like I actually really dug their interactions watching. And again, like her explaining, the history of Woodsboro and him being like, oh, it, sounds like Halloween. it sounds like Halloween to me. Like, they're very <laughs> cute as a couple. Like, I think we'll talk about Jack Quaid in a little bit. But I loved him in this movie. So I'm definitely like, I want to see what they do next with this character. Uh, yeah. And to your point, um, Rachel, her embracing that darkness that is in her and like, basically stabbing her boyfriend 17 times at the end of this movie and like going full fucking psychopath is awesome.
0: I loved um, it. Yeah. I wanted to just like stand up. I was like, yes, yes. Thank you for like going there and just mm-hmm. like letting her. Just yeah. That first stab to
2: the face was so, I mean, just such a great moment where you're sitting there and you just takes that knife right to the jaw and you're like, just completely flabbergasted by what you're saying it's it's absolutely fantastic i love it so much
3: i wonder if part of the reason barrera gets criticized is because this next performer is so fucking good Mm -hmm. and when you put the two against one another i don't think there's a comparison there no fault to barrera but jenna ortega as her sister tara is awesome and the year that jenna ortega is having in horror movies between this and ty west's x uh in studio 666 which all right they can't all be five star classics but still (laughs) still pretty good you know um she is like ripped the scream queen crown out and is just like holding it over her head and like sucking the marrow from her competitor's bones like she's fucking <laughs> great in this movie so you know what I think of her in this but what do we think of, of Tara in this movie she's awesome everything you she's just said stunned yes. silence <laughs> <laughs>
1: this and um, X uh, she's yeah she's gonna have a a very long amazing career ahead of her
0: yeah I know I think she's so great she's very like I mean she she sells you on whatever she's trying like whatever she's doing, like you believe it. Like her mm-hmm. her control over her expressions is so authentic. Like there's multiple moments in this film where it almost like gets me choked up because I like that that empathy, like, and you feel it. Like she's so good at just actually conveying those emotions that a lot of the times you forget it's like oh wait yeah she's just an actress you know this is just a movie mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just acting but like i don't know it just it hits you in a way she's and she's incredible and that's what i'm talking about like the star the star power and like going back to the original and seeing like where a lot of those actors would go like that's jenna ortega like she's completely gonna just i don't know i'm so excited to see what she does because everything she's done i think is just amazing and yeah. she was
1: only seventeen when they started uh, filming this movie, which is crazy. That is I think unreal. I read something. They like the phone call scene, the first scene. I think she was seventeen when they uh, started filming it, and they had to, I guess, like do reshoots or whatever at the end. So she was eighteen. So she's seventeen and eighteen when they uh, filmed that scene. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the fact that she's yeah just. So just young. imagine,
0: like, what she's gonna do. Like, uh, yeah, it's right. just, it's, it's great. It's so exciting to see because it's like, this is she's gonna be a star for sure.
2: Yeah, she's she's the heart of the movie. I mean, that's that's really what it kind of comes. Down. For me, she is the absolute uh, outside of the legacy character. She is in in so many ways the heart of this new group of of friends. I mean, mm-hmm. they they are her friends. So that's kind of it's her friend group. So everything's kind of built around her. But then her performance is such that you completely get why everyone's there you can completely get why everyone's making such a big deal out of this one person because she is so genuine and because she is so human and so such a grounding presence and influence for the rest of these characters it I mean yeah she's she's fantastic and just you know not to just sound like a complete parrot here but um, yeah can't wait to see what she does next
0: (laughs) well she's in a hospital most of the time like you think about it and it's like she's sitting down for most of the movie.
2: Or laying <laughs> like,
0: down, yeah. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. sitting down, laying down in a chair, like, on crutches. Like, the fact that she can do all that while, like, she, she's actually not maybe in it as much as some of the other characters. Even So it's pretty wild that she can like do that from a hospital bed.
2: The fact that she's in that chair, I think, leads to one of her best moments in the movie where she's trying to get away from the killer and she has to pull herself out of that hospital bed, into that chair. She's been stabbed through the hand. So she's like, every time she tries to roll the wheelchair down the hallway, it causes insane amounts of pain. Like it's all over her face. It's in her physical performance. Like it is such... an incredibly human grounding performance. And I, I absolutely adore it. Like it's such an incredible moment and she pulls it off beautifully as, you know, an actress who just is been sitting there the whole movie, like fantastic. So good.
3: That's one of the moments I had down too, because it's something you don't typically see. It's a small choice to make, but she really sells her injuries. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it's, it's like the art of pro wrestling. Like you want to sell the injured body part to the crowd and it's something that you don't see enough like you i think we're used to like you said someone being grievously injured like her leg has been stomped on she was stabbed i think seven or eight times in that scene and yet a lot of moves that just play it like okay just get up and get into the chair and and be fine this like you feel that much more you want to look out for her that much more because, like, she's selling how injured and how fragile she is in that moment. Other things, too, like other choices she makes, like in that opening scene when she's talking to uh, Ghostface and doesn't know that it's him. And she's just like, Well, I like um, elevated horror. I like movies like um, The Babadook. And here it's a meditation on grief. And she sounds like a 17 year old person trying to appear much more smarter or nuanced than they might be like she's spitting back the talking points mm-hmm. uh, and I love that as a choice like I love that as a, as a character choice for her to go ahead and do that so and she's a great shot as well with a gun for a 17 year old <laughs> so I'm almost so taking her to
2: the yeah. shooting range on the weekends I'm sure <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: um, so I'm really excited to see what is next for the character of Tara um, you could see why her friends were looking out for her. So, you know, it leads to the next character, another newbie. Jack Quaid is Richie Kirsch. I think the most likable killer this series has had since like Stu Mocker. Sure. Not even
2: close. Yeah. He's so good. He's so it's one of the I was watching this and I forgot that he was a Quaid until that la, until his killer reveal and he flashes that Dennis Quaid smile. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Dennis Quaid's son. Like I knew that, like academically I knew that and then you see him flash that smile and you're like holy shit this guy is so fucking charming.
3: Did like, you yell holy shit it's Ghostface? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but I should have. Maybe maybe one of my biggest laughs of the movie, holy shit it's Ghostface. Like cuz that's I mean, who who among us would not probably say the same thing if we found ourselves in front of Ghostface killing somebody. Holy shit it's Ghostface. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I he plays all of the moments very well. He's very, um, he's very charismatic. He's very charming. And, but then that all turns on a dime and he's so menacing and, but still very charming while being completely menacing too. And Mm. just turns into such a contemptible POS in that final moment. But at at the same time, you're just like, but he's so pretty. Like he's, yeah. he's 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 such a good-looking guy. He's so charming. Like you can see why she falls for him. You can see why Amber falls for him. Like you, yeah. you absolutely get it. And he could get. You could,
3: it. you could say that you know he really is the film's boner pills. I think. I, you... Touche. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> he's very comfortable on screen, like as an actor. It's like it's like of course your parents are like incredibly talented famous actors. Like he he looks like. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but it looks like he's comes very natural to him mm-hmm. and that the character you see on screen, you know, minus like the murderous intent, like is kind of the person he is in real. Like it feels very natural. It doesn't feel like he's acting very much. Mm-hmm. And I think it also like I don't know, it gives him kind of like a Ted Bundy quality, you know, where he's like. Handsome and like extremely manipulative and knows exactly what is he's doing, especially when you know the twist. And that I loved watching it for a second time now knowing what was going on and just like seeing how he reacted to things and like how he kind of set things up and it's like ooh, it just becomes even more villainous like once you know what's happening because he, it feels and looks so casual and natural for him to do and say certain things. And you're just like, man, oh, you haven't seen the Stab movies? Like, you fucking asshole. Like, mm-hmm. it's so, like, just, oh, just, like, an extra added, like, mischievous evilness to him. It's, it's, it's great.
1: Mm-hmm. It's very different from the Billy Loomis uh, boyfriend, because Billy is just, like, slimy from, like, the second we meet him in the original totally. stream. And like, yeah, I think uh, Jack Quaid is is like a likable. Per- I I personally win by him and uh, Sam together just because I think she's way out of his league. Sorry, uh, Jack Quaid, if you're listening. But uh, yeah, just like as a character, I think he he's, he's
2: perfect. To be fair, Andrew, I think Jack Quaid would probably agree with you. <laughs> I he's think also Jack Quaid uh, can get it. I mean, touche, he could. But I mean, she could, too. <laughs> let's be honest. This this entire cast could get it. I'm just saying.
3: I mean Machine Gun Kelly landed Megan Fox. That, please don't bring Which that is up. <laughs> a That's a,
2: that's shoot. still a sore spot for a lot of us, Mike. Right. Yeah, I mean so
1: about. But uh, Jack Wade is also great in The Boys, if you guys haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need it I check
0: mean is that he out. is he the most I mean I guess like is he the star of this film? Like is he the kind of the most established actor out of this cast? Don't you? Th- I mean, I kind of, of thought the new he ones? was. I, yeah. yeah, I think he
2: is
3: by default mm, almost. Yeah. Maybe at I mean, this point, Jasmine Savoy yeah. Brown after Yellow Well, Jackets. now,
0: yeah, but like when this was filmed, I yeah. felt like he was the one that was like, "Oh, okay, he's clearly mm-hmm. like the already established star out but of." this But even cat. so, mm-hmm.
3: he's
2: still, you know, Dennis and Meg's son. You know, it's oh, totally. not, he's he's not like a star in his own right, but, but I mean, he's the one in this cast that you've heard of if for nothing else than because of the boys. And even yeah. if you don't know who he is, you're like, Oh, it's that guy from the boys. It's Huey. Okay, cool. I'm in. No.
3: Yeah. I felt like he, the character of Richie acted as a great proxy pre-reveal for like persons who enjoy horror movies, but maybe aren't, super well-versed in them. Like, they'll go see the hits when they come out in theaters, but they're not going to, like, dive deep into the minutiae because, like, a lot of the movie that had to be explained was explained to him, but it never in a way that made you feel dumb. And there's, like, this, like, superficial charm to his character where he always has, like, a really good quip or a quirk uh, perk where he was like, that Jason Voorhees, he has some pretty good ideas. Like, they're (laughs) delivered in a really... Likeable way that never comes off as douchey. Um, I guessed he was the killer for the only for the reason that like when he's attacked in the hospital, I'm like that seems like too superficial of a wound and planned out, you know, like that was where my brain was going, and I'm like I really don't want him to be the killer because I want to see him in more movies.
2: I mean, he does say it's a bummer it's him, and the audience goes, yeah, I know, kind of. It really is
3: because he's the first like you like you said Andrew Sydney shouldn't date Billy Loomis for ideas that are wholly separate from the fact that he's a mass murderer. Yeah. Like that is like probably third or fourth on the list in terms mm-hmm. of like why Billy is not a great boyfriend. Um fathering another play. child, you know, while she's he's dating Sydney is also on that list somewhere. Um Yeah, like need, we we need to have a talk with uh their mom about mm-hmm. Her
1: and
2: Billy Loomis,
3: because that, yeah.
2: Do we think the mom's dead?
3: No, she was traveling for work.
2: But I mean, that's what they said about Sydney's dad in the first movie, too. And he was locked in the closet the whole time.
3: No, because she talked to him. Like Tara said, they talked to her, like, yeah, she's home or whatever.
2: Yeah. Okay. I I must have missed that line then. Okay.
3: Yeah. Because I don't think she's a terrible parent. I thought it was going to be the cheerleader mom from the bathroom scene where she's like, serial killing is, or or like, (laughs) so out, serial mass murder is in, you know, (laughs) she, Uh, I thought it was going to be her or maybe like Ricky Lake could make a surprise appearance. I don't know. Oh, yeah. um, awesome. Which would have been a fun little twist. And again, there's a couple more movies coming out. So we'll see. But I thought Richie was just like fun and charming. And like, even when he's giving his reasons for to do it, he's like, how can fans be toxic? Like, you know, we're fans. <laughs> so, like and for a moment. I'm like, yeah, you're right. How can fans be toxic? <laughs> you tell him." I bought in. So you're one of them, i'm one of them we'll definitely get more into the the toxic fandom uh discussion later on um leading to our next two characters here i think one of the real breakouts in this movie jasmine savoy brown is mindy meeks martin um she is the randy of the movie i would actually probably at this point put her above kirby and that's why rewatching the oh. series, I was one of those persons that are like, yeah, I'd put Randy third in the group. I don't know, man. Rewatching, I'm I'm an apologist for Randy Meeks at this point, Same. and think that he has gotten far. And you can go back and listen to our Scream Revisited episode, where I I defend Randy. Um, but goddamn, Mindy Meeks Martin is a goddamn joy to watch. Look at that with your Randy <laughs> Meeks shirt.
2: Andrew has changed his shirt and he is not wearing the <laughs> Randy Meeks shirt.
3: Um, just like, just her fucking pickup game. She's like, I'm going to smoke a bowl of weed and pick up. I forget what the girl's name is. Hook up with here. Francis. She's like, yeah. up with Francis. And she's like, yeah, I am, you know, and like, she does, the you way you, she man.
2: just looks over at her and just kind of does that yep. little head nod thing. And you're yep. like, get it.
3: I mean, between this and Yellow Jackets, what a run. True goat stuff from Jasmine Savoy Brown here. Love it. What yeah, do we she's, think of, she's of really Mindy?
1: Good. The Meeks Martin uh, twins are my favorite characters in this. I mm-hmm. think. Uh, more her than her brother, but I feel like they come as a as a package deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of parents, though, I this is another thing I got into on Twitter with some people. I really want to know who their father is. Right? Yeah. I think because... <laughs> no events to to mom to um what's what's her name Heather, Heather yeah yeah that character's name sorry
2: she oh, really uh, married up
1: martha she, yeah she, yeah martha <laughs> I, meek's who really martha no yeah. yeah i mean she's yeah just looking at those kids and then her <laughs> Sorry, there's some questions I have. Someone on, on Twitter said that, uh, that Idris Elba should show up as
3: uh father. <laughs> oh my god, Robert. that would be
0: amazing.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, don't do that to me.
1: <laughs>
3: that but would be the else, only explanation. <laughs> someone else
2: said
1: the, um, who's it, Dwayne uh, Martin, who played the camera guy in mm-hmm. Scream 2? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Someone suggested that he should come back as the the Meeks Martin. He,
3: no, he's never
1: coming back. It, to, it no. would be. You know, <laughs> it Woodsboro. would be
3: it, he's a he's. Yeah, you're right. He's never going back to Woodsboro, <laughs> nor associating. He he was the smartest dude. in any of the movies. He's like, yep. peace out. I'm yeah. fucking out of here. I don't know why more cat. Char- There's just every movie should have at least one character that does that. Just like call me when this shit is over.
2: I mean, they tried um, that in this movie. But, you know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, one of your killers is in the car. So you don't get that far.
0: (laughs) I do love, I mean, Mindy, the thing I like about her is like, it's so easy. It could be super annoying what she's doing. That kind of like know-it-all kind of attitude that she, you know, shares with her uncle about like the films and how they work. And like, all right, this is what this is. Like, it could be so annoying to hear that. But I think that she navigates that really well. And her performance like gets you on her side and kind of lets you have fun with her versus like being annoyed by her (laughs) Mm -hmm, and i'm not exactly sure how you know why that is or whatever but i do feel like she navigates that really beautifully Mm -hmm. and embraces the nerdy bit of all of us that has us sitting here talking about this movie we're like (laughs) like we get it like we she you know she's one of us and i think that that's She does such a great job at that. And I love her in Yellow Jackets, too. So, yes, absolutely obsessed with her. I think what
3: makes her character so good is she takes all the things I like about Randy and I like about Kirby, like that kind of encyclopedic knowledge about horror movies, but also like kind of analyzing what works or what doesn't work. And like, here's what's hot right now. And like that whole requel speech and saying like here you just can't do a straightforward sequel anymore or a straightforward remake. Nobody wants it. And they name check the child's play remake. I will mm-hmm. have some words with her because I think that remake <laughs> is fantastic. I really enjoy it. You know, keep its name out of your mouth. I really do <laughs> like that movie. Um but like she doesn't have like the negative traits that I would associate yeah. with Randy or Kirby. Like she's not clingy like Randy. You know she's not she's not trying to like glom on to somebody or she never feels like she's trying to prove herself to the friend group or with Randy. He always like felt like he was on the periphery of it and also knew that he was on the periphery of it and was doing anything he could to glom on. And with Kirby, as much as I like her, she can be a bit smug. Yeah. A bit too know-it-all-ish and, I don't get that sense with with Mindy at all in this movie.
2: It's almost like we're tracking the progression of f- like film nerds throughout the ages with these movies. They're kind of time capsules mm-hmm. for Hollywood's view of the film nerd cuz Randy is like super nerdy. Like he is the the screech of the friend group as it were. Mm-hmm. Like he's the big nerd that everyone just kind of like he's here because we've known him since we were kids kind of a thing. Yeah. Whereas Kirby is kind of, well, you know, I'm into these movies, they're art, they're film, you know, I don't like movies like film, kind of a a, a film fan. And then Mindy, like the nerd is king. So Mindy's like, This is how this goes, and this is where it is, and you guys love me because I'm awesome. And everyone is like, Yeah, that's absolutely right. We love you because you're awesome. Yeah, she's not
0: being She's not Sorry. being like gatekeepy about it. Right. She's like, she's trying to educate them. Like, you you know, you see her constantly like telling people like, oh, you asked me to go with you. Like, good job. Okay, let's go down the stairs. Like, oh, why mm-hmm. would you do? You know, it's like she's trying to like share her knowledge in like a fun way versus being like, you're an idiot. How do you not know this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Except
1: for
2: Liv. I feel like she's a little mean to Liv. But,
0: she like, is. She
2: Everyone's mean I think to Liv. Everybody's
0: yeah. kind of mean to her. <laughs> Yeah. Which and is why women's... I thought
2: she was the killer for like half the movie the yeah. first time I saw this. She's too
3: boring yeah. to be the
2: killer.
0: It's I also like that brother-sister gate... thing, though. Yeah, Maybe she's yeah. just being a little protective of her brother a little bit. Yeah.
3: Gatekeeping the brother's relationship a little bit, I think, is yeah. what it is. And, <laughs> yeah. pouring in. So, uh, and let's face it, like there's, I mean, I'm going through my notes here and I didn't even put Liv down. I have every other character <laughs> in the book wow. because she's so forgettable Liberation. like lives like you could like lives character trait is like she's hot in an alternative girlfriend kind <laughs> of way um that would be there's not much going on there um they kind of well,
2: like visually styled her after tatum so she was kind of supposed to be the tatum of this movie yeah
0: yeah oh, you also but it's think not like even
1: close though i mean no, like
3: think agree, about but Rose mcgowan is tatum and how much like pinache she brings to that role and how memorable she is yeah mm.
0: I also think like you think about Wes and outside of his connection with his mom, they're kind mm-hmm. of similar. I think, you know, that like they're yeah. you don't really get to know them either of them like super mm-hmm. well. And if you take, you know, Sheriff Hicks out of the equation, like what does Wes have going for him? Yeah, so I, 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 frosted I tips. <laughs> I, I, okay, yeah, I have thoughts on that. <laughs> we'll
3: definitely get to that. We'll the definitely. Shower,
1: see? Um, uh, but it goes uh, back. Sorry, uh, one second. That goes back to what I said. I was nervous about going in. With just the amount of characters, mm-hmm. like there's no way we could have, yeah, gotten to know all of them on the same level. So I guess totally. those two had to. And fall I think way that's
3: side. okay because I, yeah. I think back of like friends group, friend groups growing up, like you could have large friend groups and everybody had a different role, and there was a pecking order in like some kids you knew way better than others, and some kids you hung out with because you had since kindergarten. So it's not like everybody was on equal footing. I mm-hmm. mean. I see that in the schools I work at right now. Like there are friends group, but there are always seems like there's like one or two kids that are about ready to drop out of the friend group for whatever reason. So I am okay with like someone like live, you know, being on the kind of the outside looking in or Wes kind of like being a part of the group. Cause he has like an unrequited crush on Tara and everyone gets to keep him as a friend. Cause they can make fun of him for it. Um, Or, you know, maybe they like steal evidence for he grabs mom's key and grabs, you know, (laughs) evidence from the evidence locker. So although I don't think Wes would do that, I think Wes would very much respect his mom's boundary. Before we get to him, let's talk about Chad Meeks Martin, Mesa Gooding, the son of Cuba Gooding Jr., um, who, you know, is completely made of protein shakes and creatine. (laughs) Like that dude is ripped. Um Does not help him out later in the movie, but no, nope. no. But he he gets, I think, two of the best lines of the movie. Like they like, let me introduce him to Hobbs, Hobbs and, and Shaw. Shaw. <laughs> which, again, getting back to talking about the Fast and Furious franchise here on this show, which I still haven't seen any of except for no. Hobbs and Shaw. It's, oh my, oh, gosh, my that's killer. like the worst one too. I like I thought it was fun. Well then I'm just, just think of... about how
2: much you're gonna enjoy the rest of them, Mike.
3: <laughs> yeah. If I don't, I'm holding you accountable, Cena. If
2: you if you don't like Fast Five more than Hobbs and Shaw, then you and have you have wrong. my permission to cut me out of your life forever, sir. Excellent. Excellent.
3: <laughs> I am so glad that Chad's not dead in this Same. movie. Like mm-hmm. I think that would have irrevocably changed Mindy's character in a way that would have sucked. Um plus I just really like Chad. And what do we think of him? Like, Rachel, I see this in your notes, like him, you know, again, the other funniest moment of the movie is when he is like, I could have sex with my girlfriend right now, but I'm not sure she's not the killer. So I'm going to tell her that. So good.
0: I love I. I mean, I love the way that he both embraces the jock stereotype, but also like pushes against it. Like he's not like yeah we see it with like the Hobbs and Shaw thing he's wearing his varsity jacket like clearly he's like an incredibly attractive man and like you know has the the physical part of it going for Mm -hmm. him but then the way that he treats his girlfriend you know yeah like he he, I don't know you see like in the first one like Billy like immediately like hops on to you know Sydney's when she finally decides that she's ready to have sex with him Mm -hmm. immediately takes advantage of that but here you see him like yeah you you actually you know what like why don't we just wait like maybe now's Mm -hmm. not the right time and that's not what you would think the stereotypical jock character would do and i love that because i honestly i didn't see that coming
1: (laughs) i i wouldn't have done it i would have been dead
2: in five seconds (laughs) but i (laughs) I mean Same, Andrew. Absolutely. (laughs) But here's the thing he's still a Meeks. And that's that's,
0: exactly. And that's That's... what I love
2: about him is there's that kind of conflict within him. You can see, like, yes, I'm the jock, hot girlfriend, must have sex, but also I'm a Meeks. I know movies. I know horror movies. Must survive. And and then as soon as she leaves and like goes storming out, he looks up and there's his sister giving him the thumbs up, Mm -hmm. like, you did it. And of course he thumbs up and flips her off. And Mm -hmm. it's it's such a great moment. But, but you're just like, yeah, dude, you're a meeks, and uh, you just blue-balled yourself. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He contains multitudes, yes. and I like that about them. So I'm excited he's still around because I can't wait to see like how his character develops even more. Same.
3: I'm gonna say that he's gonna pack on like 25 more pounds of muscle based on <laughs> their trajectory. Is one big development. Like that dude is just again shredded, like absolutely ripped. Um, but I like that, like you, like you said, Andrew. It doesn't help him to be that strong. He's easily overtaken, and you see like this real fear in him when he's trying to get away from Ghostface. Like it's just, it's really well done. That's not the kind of that's the kind of character that is not typically overpowered. Uh, they're typically taken out something like quick and, and easy. Um, and I'd like the way that this movie plays with the familiar tropes, and we'll talk about that with the next character here. Um, but it doesn't give you exactly what you expect, which leads to Wes Hicks, played by Dylan Minnette, that, you know, he exists to be a red herring in the movie. And he, I think he exists. I believe so. So that you can pay tribute to Wes Craven right. in a really sweet way as well. But, oh, Stephen will be back in a moment, so we'll give him a second. How is everybody doing for time? I got it nothing going on today okay (laughs) just gotta go thrifting later excellent steven you back all right that's fine we did not miss much there um i will say that like the relationship with him and his mom is really sweet like there is a sweetness to it i like how the two of them get along i just like him setting the table without being asked to do it like as a parent i'm like oh You've done well, Mom. You got a good kid there.
2: I was gonna say your parent is showing, Mike.
3: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you can tell. Sorry,
2: go ahead.
0: It's 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 just nice because like Sheriff Hicks is so she's so sweet and funny. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, you see that in you know the other uh, film that she's into that kind of that personality, and it's just it's very sweet to know that like rather than being, like, a bratty teenager, like, he he likes that, you know, and, like, appreciate. I don't know, he treats her nicely and is like, my mom's a sweet lady, so it's mm-hmm. nice to see that relationship and that he, you know, treats her like she should be treated, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, with the setting of the table, you can tell it's, like, a ritual that they have, mm-hmm. even when, like, him asking, like, why she didn't like, postmates the food, you can tell they've probably had this conversation like in the past before, mm-hmm. and that he just knows that when she comes back, like, This is where we're going to sit to eat, like get out the like the dishes and the chopsticks and stuff. And just, yeah, it was was cute.
0: And he listens to her and like respects her authority. Like, you know, he's got carries the taser, carries the pepper spray. Like, you know, he's not like, oh, mom. Mm -hmm. But like he actually is putting the knowledge that she's given him to use. Yeah. Which just, you know, I don't know emphasizes that respect even more i think and
1: a, another family with a, a missing father which seems to be a, mm-hmm. a trend in woodsboro for some reason but like you can't have i don't think any of them have like a, a household with both parents
3: the mm. only one i can think of would have been like in the first movie like Stu mocker yeah right Sidney, billy's mom well, is gone sydney's mom no. is dead i guess well i guess like dewey and and tatum Although you never see the dad, but I don't think there's they never call attention. Yeah, but in this one, there's like all absent, absent a lot of as in a lot of horror movies like absentee parents. But here, where I like you know you you hear with Wes early in the movie, he's like, oh, don't you know put a tracker on your phone, like get rid of it, like you don't want to be tracked. Cover your camera, like he's the character saying, look, this technology is a detriment to us right now. They, whoever it is can kind of track us down. And one thing I do like about the scream series as a whole is where most modern horror shies away from using modern technology. If they can get away with it, because they're like, well, if everybody has a cell phone, all you do is you'll call the authorities and movie over scream has always found ways to incorporate technology in a way that puts characters in danger versus giving them an advantage. And I really like that. We will talk maybe a little more about that later, but he's the one saying, yeah, all this stuff that lets everybody know where we are. Like, this is not a good thing. We need to kind of go back to the basics here. And goddamn that stalking sequence from the shower scene (laughs) up to the moment of his death is probably, if not, it's probably the best sequence in this movie period, but also one of the best sequences in all five movies, like just, and I think what makes it really rewatching it today for the show, what made it work in particular was knowing that Sheriff Judy is already dead. That like you already know it's very Hitchcockian and that you already know the danger is there. This is not a red herring. It's not a trick. Uh, He's in very real danger and then it plays on what we know as horror fans and it's very playful and still manages so to be very funny
1: yeah it's like five or six like fake outs with the opening mm-hmm. cabinets and the fridge door and there's like a nod to her lemon squares on the fridge which i th- thought was yeah yeah. yeah yeah i giggled so much in the theater with all the fake outs
2: as someone who hates jump scares, that scene was so tense for me. Like I'm just sitting there going, "Okay, what's going to happen?" What's gonna And I'm like wincing every time, like when he closes the refrigerator door, I wince, and like it's mm-hmm. it's it's and a very tense moment for someone like myself. Yeah, I'm just like, mm, no, thank you. Um, but it, it's so effective, though. It works really, really well right. to where. And then when the killer finally, you just he locks the door and turns around, and there he is, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Like it was worth that build up for that payoff moment for sure.
1: No, just that Wes. Uh, this is a, one of my main, I guess, criticisms with the the film um, relates to Wes's death, and like mm-hmm. we just talked about with the Meeks Martin. It seems like he would be a kid who would, uh, who would also work out. He's obviously not as, as buff as, <laughs> as someone else, but uh, he. I feel like he would be able to take. Now that we know who the ghost faces mm-hmm. were, I feel like he would also be able to take take down that killer, but.
0: I think that that, they got him by surprise, though, and I think that's what I actually, I mean, I hope, you know, maybe we can talk about all the kill or, you know, the kills in general Mm -hmm. later, but, like, I do think that they were really clever about the kills and, like, I actually do think it works because, yeah, they they caught him by surprise. Like, they didn't get us with the jump scares. He wasn't just right behind the door to give him that second of, like, figuring out what's going Mm -hmm. on. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like they knew that he could overtake him because I mean he does he has some abs I don't know you see him when he gets out of the <laughs> yeah. shower like that that boy is that boy's you know ripped for mm-hmm. sure so like I, I agree with you I do think he could take him but the way that they do it I don't know was a smart way to kill him yeah. I guess
3: yeah. Yeah. I figured that was one of Jack's kills for sure um or Richie's kills for sure I f- um because it would probably take a little bit more strength to kind of power that. And you also have like that fear going too, and you're not like he's reaching out for one of his weapons, and it's just out of his reach. Um, so I, I can see that though, because he is a, looks like a pretty strong person, um, but couldn't get away. That is one where you're like, all right, it, it, you have to. I think maybe rely on rely on the element of surprise there. Um, yeah, it doesn't ruin anything
1: gonna, for me. Just yeah, it's yeah. Something I
3: noticed. It is. You know, it is tough because, you know, the, the character of Amber is also like not like a very, although when you think of like the screen movies, like none of the killers are one of the things that works about this series is like the killers get the shit kicked out of them a lot. <laughs> oh, my word. Right. I mean, like and you, even in the opening scene here, you see the killer like smash their head on the on the cabin and fall over like they're not yeah. particularly so many super athletic. Yeah. Yeah. It's Which not. Is a, always-
2: yeah which has always been one of the things I like about the scream franchises is, is those killers take hits. Like mm-hmm. particularly in the first movie, you can tell Stu is the guy who's like tripping over himself and falling. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but that happens all the time in this, which is again, another thing that I love is the killer is mm-hmm. incredibly fallible and incredibly beatable mm-hmm. um, and able to be overcome. But it's that element of surprise. Like Rachel said, that just kind of is ultimately what I think pays the most dividends for his, his ability. To kill
3: mm-hmm. when he needs to. Yeah. So moving on, we have Amber, the character of Amber Freeman, played by uh, Mickey Madsen. Madison, who must really like being lit on fire between this and <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I think...
2: I forgot that was her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah.
3: This movie does a great job of setting her up as the Billy Loomis. And what I mean by that is from the moment she's introduced, she comes off as creepy. Uh, mm-hmm. and really controlling and, like, very overprotective of Tara um, to the degree where you're like, she can't be the killer because she's doing such a poor job of masking. I the fact that it. she's the killer? Yeah, <laughs> and I kind of love that. Yeah, I, I yeah. think she's the
1: one that I suspected from, like, from the introduction because mm-hmm. she just seemed really creepy, but yeah, they yeah. definitely make it so that you... Think it's too obvious from,
2: from the start. Right. Whereas I kind of, you know, discri- dismissed her in, incredibly just early, just because, well, it can't be her because they're obviously choreographing mm-hmm. it to be her. So it's mm-hmm. clearly not her. Well, surprise, Stephen, you were wrong.
0: Yeah. She, as an actress, like, has. She's so wonderfully unhinged when it, like, yes. finally gets revealed. Oh my Like, word. she's, like, delightful. Like, she's so evil and just kind of maniacal in her murderous glee that it's i i loved it i was like, <laughs> like it's really fun to kind of see and it plays off of uh Richie's character well i i think mm-hmm. i don't think that the relationship part of them was necessary yeah you know they talk about how like they met and like had similar values or whatever but like that's enough like why yeah. do they you know and they don't you don't ever see them like being right. like physical or intimate with each other but they're it's they, like, one or talk, two
3: lines yeah it's one yeah, or two that, lines like, it's almost throwaway
0: yeah like hints at that like there's a like a you know a sexual or romantic relationship with them Mm -hmm. and i don't think they need that like i think Mm -hmm. it's just enough that they are fans of the same thing they had similar viewpoints and now they've like banded together to set up this new sequel Mm -hmm. right and i think that with the whole toxic fandom aspect that this film was trying to you know play on that actually would have gone further because you don't have to be in a romantic relationship with somebody to really connect over uh, shared ideals, right? Like, we've seen plenty examples of that, of people finding each other on the internet to band together for their, you know, quote-unquote causes.
3: (laughs) I would say if there was a characteristic that marks so many of the persons that fall into toxic fandom it is their inability to make meaningful relationships with other people things that aren't superficial like one of the Mm. things that really drives them is this inability to connect with other people in a really real way and there is a reason why there might be a stereotype of them being like virgins that live in their mother's basement why Mm -hmm. that still perpetuates to this day and again we'll get more into that um someone out there is like really mad at us right i can feel like a one-star <laughs> review there's like a coming i mean that, that that's that's the thing with
2: with movies that kind of take shots at toxic fandom though it's always the the people that hate it kind of end up telling on themselves in yeah. a, in a yeah. very weird way like oh really you don't like this movie about a, a group of people that are uh, kind of horrible to other people online let's unpack that a little bit maybe mm-hmm. um
0: or, like, why you take it so personally? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's, like, at the end of the day, like, this is just a movie, right? So, mm-hmm. like, why did Richie and what's her name, Amber, like, why did they feel the need to actually, like, well, take people's lives mm-hmm. and, like, re- set the stage for this new sequel? Like, yeah. that's taking it to a whole new level.
1: I did feel like why? the relationship was more one-sided than i feel like uh richie was maybe less into her amber than amber was into richie and i feel like that, that was, plays yeah yeah it was like he was using that to get her to go along with everything they were doing and he had just had to
3: play mm-hmm. along and pretend that yeah. he was also into her because but... he's also a few years older
1: yeah mm-hmm. I and mean, that's mm-hmm. the other
3: thing that plays into it too like he's mid-20s early 20s mid 20s like he comes off as like 20 they even call him one of the characters leaving is like someone's like dad um, <laughs> you know um is kicking us out right now so there's also that kind of that manipulation of a person who you know they're they haven't fully formed yet in terms of who they are they might be 18 but they're still kind of young and immature in a lot of ways that can be very easily manipulated i think part of what makes amber's character work is like madison's choice to play her is so unhinged once it's revealed like there's such a glee in the way she delivers some of her like they're just she goes big in a really fun way where it's like your mom is a drunk um and then when she's trying to plead for her life with gail in Sydney, when she's like, it was the message boards. I was radicalized. Like she's using this language that you know we see used all the time, but done so in a way that is like trying to just kind of absolve herself of any sort of response. She's like, basically the kid caught with her hand in the cookie jar at that point, and like doing anything she can to get out of it. I love her choices in those moments. You, al-
0: you also see her using the gun. Like mm-hmm. to me, she's almost the more dangerous of the duo because, mm-hmm. like Richie's bound by the conventions of this franchise, right? Like he's yep. paying tribute and doing this for for the love of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. But Amber, I mean, she's just like she shoots Gail Weathers like it's nothing, and then yep. she shoots Liv in the head and stabs like yeah she stabs it. like she's a little bit more reckless yeah. and is enjoying maybe just the murdering aspect of it versus mm-hmm. like setting this up for the movie part of it which i think is more like richie's thing yeah mm-hmm. so i don't know where i was going with that i just think it's kind of interesting kind of like
3: mickey in part two like when you watch part two like it's almost easy to forget that like mickey is one of the killers which is weird to say when it's Timothy Oliphant, who is yeah. so incredible, but mm-hmm. he's just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to a certain degree, like Stu Mocker is yeah, also just, just kind of him. along for the ride, but he's so memorable as a character. And Stu Mocker also in love with Billy lemis Absolutely. And also
2: uses the peer pressure defense. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, there's, I think she Amber kind of rides the line. She's, she's kind of a little bit Billy and she's a little bit Stu as well, mm-hmm. which I yeah. think works really well for that character. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think she's more self-aware of how she's using her, you know, her femininity or her sexuality, like using her role as like a young person to be easily made. it's i don't know i think she's more self-aware than that which is also mm-hmm. just more diabolical like she's using that to get people on her sides yeah. like when you see her walk out of the house and she's like pretending to be injured it's like she knows what she's doing
3: yeah <laughs> but she does it in a way that like you see right through it like it's again such a big choice that yeah mm-hmm. um, it's like the lady doth protest too much oh i love that, that when she, they're
0: like yeah. oh no this is definitely a trap definitely a <laughs> trap. what do you think trap yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. um I don't really have, again, Sonia Mr as Liv, I don't really have much on. There's not a lot there. She does have that one good moment interacting with Mindy when she, like, comes off as pretty unhinged and fed up. Mm. Um, and I don't have much on Kyle Galliner as dirtbag Kyle Gowner except to say that, like, every movie needs dirtbag Oh, <laughs> yeah I, I,
0: have, I have a couple things on him. I actually, okay. I loved his death more this time. Now, Mm -hmm. like once I knew it was going to happen, like I love Kyle Gallner. Like I think he's just, I love him. And, um, so I was really excited when I saw him. And I think the first time I saw his movie, I was a little shocked at how quickly he gets, Mm -hmm. you know, removed from the equation. But on the second watch, I love how they use him. I think it was really actually pretty brilliant. Number one. I mean, obviously he is a, a red herring and then, but they, the way that they use red right hand, You know, the classic Scream song, um, Mm -hmm. the Nick Cave song there in that moment as he's being killed as a, you know, and as he kind of embodied the red herring. I loved that kind of playing off of each other. And then it's sort of like almost like a Christine tribute. You know, he's got Mm -hmm. the bar and like the revving engine and the lights and he's up against the wall, like just like Scream pays tributes to movies all the time in like weird ways. That that whole thing felt very Christine and John Carpenter-ish right there. And I just, the way that he was killed, I thought was just so brutal in its simplicity. And it really just kind of emphasized the dramatic nature of these, this ghost face, like this version of ghost face and just how mean Mm -hmm. he is. And I don't know, just stabbing in the neck and watching him bleed out and just letting him do it. Like, it's, oh God, I thought it was, I thought it was So good. So Mm. I don't
3: know. Before we do the legacy characters, let's talk a bit about the brutality of this movie, because I think scream as a whole doesn't get enough credit for how good its kills are. I think it gets marked down a couple points because the slasher movies that came out in its wake were a bit less violent and scream three. Obviously the edict was like be less bloody and violent, but it's a pretty brutal franchise. As a whole, but this particular one, like one of the things they talk about is like you have to raise the stakes. It has to have meaning. The kills in this movie are not even the kills like Tara's attack as well. It's brutal. It right away says like this is a movie that's not going to fuck around. Um, I really appreciated that and watching it. It's a true slasher movie. Yeah, that ankle break, I think, was one of the biggest reactions Mm -hmm. in
1: my my screening the first time I saw it.
2: So gnarly. I remember we talked about Scream 4 with Brian Kuyper on one of our Patreon shows. And he commented that Scream 4 seemed really brutal compared to the rest of the Scream franchise.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And then I watched this movie and I'm like, this movie seems like it's just ratcheting up the ante even further. Like these movies Mm -hmm. seem to get with Scream 3 being the very notable exception, seem to be getting like progressively more brutal and progressively gorier. But like and I think it does play on the fact that this is just a very mean, very um, to use your word, Rachel, very mean ghost face. Like he's he's out for a very specific purpose and he's gotta spill a lot of blood to get his point across. And and he will, damn it. Um and so holy shit, yeah, the kills are like Dewey's death in particular is the one that strikes me as the most brutal, mostly because we love Dewey, but like it, the the manner in which he dies is is so brutal.
0: Yeah, well, and there, it's dramatic, mm-hmm. right? Like you hear them say, "like it was an honor." Like I, like the first time I saw it, was just like bawling at that line because mm-hmm. it was like, it, I mean, it's dramatic and it makes sense. And works really brilliantly, I think, once the twist is revealed. Right. Because it plays into these two characters, their ultimate goal, right? Right. Like they're motivated by. Uh, you know the notoriety and kind of the sex appeal of like okay we're gonna do this because the movie is gonna be based on this so like everything we do is gonna carry weight and we're gonna see it on screen so what would what do we want to see so they're making these kills like hyper dramatic and they're like choreographed almost And you see that in the cinematography, yes, but you also see it in how they're executed, how Ghostface is, like, standing over them, what they're saying, and, like, just, like, the physicalness, like, you see them, like, I don't know, there's more gravitas to this Mm -hmm. Ghostface, I think, and it's incredibly wonderful to see on screen because it's just like oh it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it like how it looks but also just kind of the evilness about knowing that why they're doing it like it's not i don't know their ultimate goal is not to like kill these people because they feel wrong it's just killing them because they want to see a cool movie like yeah. oh god
3: <laughs> seeing Ghostface out in broad daylight as well. Like Sheriff Judy's death is one of the most gutting ones in the movie because it's just so brazen and it shows like a killer that has absolutely no fear of being caught. They have no fear of any consequences for their actions. And just seeing it's something sometimes in a horror movie, like daytime brutality is... Harder to watch and hits on a much more visceral level because it is rare, and we have like an innate expectation that during the daytime at least we'll be safe. And it's yeah, something working with children. I'll, I remind kids like, hey, at least when you're in school, you have like seven hours a day where you're gonna get two meals, be around your friends, and be around adults that have your best interests at heart. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the the world outside of that might not be like that, but it can be like that here. Her death it's it's a it's shocking b it's so quick c it's so brutal like it's not only does he kill her but he just it's angry in a way that feels personal when you're re mm-hmm. it again there's like seven or eight stabs and it feel and it's funny because like you said rachel these characters the murderers don't really have a personal connection to the, some of the people they kill but they do it in such a way where it feels like it and that makes yeah. it all the more shocking
0: well she's a legacy character right mm-hmm. just right. like Dewey like she is in one of the other movies and she's been around you know since the beginning I yeah. guess and like she's a Woodsboro you know native mm-hmm. and like she has a role in this big yeah. story. So her death is special in that way. Like it's personal because it carries weight to them about where she sits with this franchise. Because like they're friends to
2: the extent that yeah,
0: they are. But like her as a person doesn't carry any weight to them. It's like right. what she represents in her role in this, mm-hmm. I don't know, this this world that they're obsessed with. Yeah,
1: exactly. I was, was going to bring this up later, but I think that was a, a good point. Uh, did any of you watch the deleted scenes? Boys? I have not. There's no. one uh, right after Sheriff Sheriff's death, where Sam like, finds Mindy um, outside after mm-hmm. the death, and they have a like a short conversation, like "Why are you here? Why are you here?" But um, Sam says to Mindy, "I thought you said that like the sequels don't matter because obviously like Wes and his mom, if they were following the rules, then they wouldn't." have been killed and then yeah. uh mindy's just like maybe i was wrong and mm-hmm. then sam is like well or maybe you weren't maybe this is just a diversion and then that's when she exceeds the cops outside the house and asks why they aren't at the hospital so i mm-hmm. thought that was a, an interesting little thing excellent
3: because mm-hmm. you don't ever get that in any other movies like the characters are like well maybe i'm not right about these rules no. mm-hmm. and... yeah there's
2: there's never i mean the rules are the thing in the Scream franchise that are sacred Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to get to the rules later, but like that, the, the rules are for all intents and purposes, the gospel of these movies. And Mm -hmm. so to see those called into question is, is kind of a powerful thing. Maybe, maybe these things aren't, aren't the gospel that we've taken them to be.
3: They might not be as sacrosanct as we, we've assumed they are. Exactly. getting into the legacy. Mm, Sorry. sorry, I I feel like Judy's, uh, maybe her neighbors just didn't like her very
1: much because someone had to like, Maybe it's like an A cab situation. Someone had to like notice Mm -hmm. that she was being stabbed outside and just like close the blinds and pretend. They're like, I'm not
0: getting
2: involved in this. This (laughs) is a nice community. I'm not going to deal with. I'm. I mean, maybe I. I was thinking while watching this movie, A cab, except maybe Sheriff Judy. But then, yeah, if you're right, her neighbors aren't calling. Aren't calling that anybody to help her. Yeah. So her her next
3: door neighbor is like the 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 descendant of like the dude who, like, shut off his lights on Laurie Strode and Halloween. Like, he's ah, fuck this.
2: But it is – I mean, it's suburbia, right? That's kind of the whole point Halloween is making is, you know, you're in suburbia. You don't Mm -hmm. really know your neighbors. And if you notice something about your neighbors, no, you didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, So – and that's that's kind of – I mean, maybe that's just kind of the logical extension of that stretched hair. Mm
3: -hmm. We just had, like, this past week on Trash Pickup Day, like, our neighbor – right next door, like threw out an old mattress and a box crate. And when I came home, like the box crate was in front of our trash. It had been picked up clearly. Like it either fell out of the garbage truck or the wind blew the, the box box spring, sorry down. And I'm like, I could either like knock on their door and ask to move it. Or I could just leave it here. I'm like, I don't want to talk to my neighbors. I'm just going <laughs> to leave it here.
1: Mm-hmm. And wh- my point, I would mate.
3: rather. Yeah. And th- th- our neighbors were super nice. So they actually went and picked it up and took care of it. So, so um but that same neighbor like our car got broken into. Uh, a bunch of cars did on this and they took like literally took my like gas medicine was like what they took like the stuff that <laughs> stops me from farting. Um and I so I called my neighbor cuz I know their number cuz they own a, a swimming pool company and our houses are close enough for like I left them a message. And I just overhear like, yeah, some guy left a message saying that like our house has been, you know, our cars might get, who's this dude? Like, and I just started to laugh, you know, just. <laughs> it's me. That's the suburbs. <laughs> it's yep. me, Mario. All Man, right. I'm sorry. I, when,
1: uh, she also, she pulled up to the house, like with her sirens and stuff on. So someone, someone saw her
3: die. Mm-hmm. Right. Didn't yeah. care. Don't care. They probably had their phones out like someone uploaded that to tiktok later on you know just (laughs) with that
2: oh no sound or something Mm -hmm.
3: yeah
0: Uh. (sighs) (laughs) Um, i'm annoyed i know right
3: (laughs) okay so we went for like almost three hours when we recorded this so it seems like a pretty good Place right now to break the episode up as we're at the kind of midway point and we have barely gotten started. So we'll be back in a week with part two of our Scream 5 episode. We hope what you've dug so far. uh, Same panel, same recording session. Uh, In the next episode, we're going to talk more about the legacy characters toxic fandom uh, as well as our ideas of like the requels and what Scream is actually commenting on this time around it was a really fun discussion we think you're gonna really going to dig it we figure now is a good time let's break this up into two pieces since it's a big chunk of an episode the big chunkest type of show that we like to do now and again uh, we hope you like the show if you do please take a minute rate review and subscribe to us over on uh, Apple iTunes or Spotify uh, or wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review. It definitely helps new folks find us. Follow us on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum and check out our website, podandthependulum.com. That's a great place to easily go through our, all our archives, almost all 150 episodes so far. You can leave a review right there as well. Uh, so please, please, please go ahead and check out podandthependulum.com. We'll be back in a week with part two of our Scream episode. Take care, y'all.